Uh, good morning, uh, Christ City family. Uh, glad to, uh, to be with you this morning. Thank you for tuning in wherever it is that you're coming to us, either through YouTube or Facebook or through our website or Twitch or any of the social media platforms. We're really honored um, every Sunday to be able to gather us together in this way and to remember the promises of God and to consider what uh, Christ's sacrifice means for us in our living. Um, we are continuing our series on being church. Uh, this morning, we um, will walk our way through Ephesians 3. And so I want to invite you, wherever you are, to stand to reverence the reading of God's word, if you're able. Our passage this morning comes from Ephesians 3. It says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. This, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through him, in faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for Lisa as she comes. God, I pray that as we open up your word that you would massage a message into our souls this morning, God. That as we encounter your word that's brought to us by the strength and tenderness of your spirit, that we would sense a word from you towards us about what it means for us to be the church and to be on mission with you in this world. Lord, a poignant a moment that we're in, Lord, needs a poignant word. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would bring that to us. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. My name is Lisa Watson, and I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. Kids, for you, I just have a, a word of good news in case you were wondering. The fish at Minor in the pond are still alive. They're doing very well, and some of you may have wondered about them. And so I've got good news for you today. The fish are still alive. Hooray! <laughs> today is a day of celebration. Happy Mother's Day. And it's a day of lament. We're more familiar with these complexities lately, aren't we? We still have birthdays and weddings and babies and graduations. And yet things aren't as they have been and they aren't as they should be. And for that, we lament. This is the unwanted work of our days here recently. 
We're forced to hold things like celebration and lament and the complexity of those in tension with one another. I think we can honor both and hold space for both here as family at Christ City. So happy Mother's Day to the moms and mom figures out there. And boy, today is heavy. We've been making our way through the book of Ephesians as we explore the theme of being church. This week, we're going to focus on being church, a community on mission. Today's passage is Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and find your way there now. There are three very practical questions I'll cover as we work our way through this topic and today's passage. They are, who gets to be part? What do we do? And how do we do it? Let's jump in. Who gets to be part? There is a time I vividly remember wondering if I would get to be part of the mission. I was in college and just a few months before, I had sensed God calling me into ministry. There was an opportunity for me to take a mission trip to Botswana during the summer. After scrolling through the hundreds of opportunities provided by the denomination I was a part of at the time, Botswana seemed like the best fit. Part of the process for getting to go included filling out an application that at the time felt like an impossible one to complete with any real honesty. You see, I had just come through a very rocky and rebellious season of my life. Even though I knew with great certainty that I had turned a corner and I was growing spiritually like never before, what had been before that was tough. So I was sitting on my bed with the application in my lap trying to figure out how to answer the questions that at the time seemed hard. My dad happened to walk by my room. He must have known something was bothering me he stopped at my doorway and asked me what was wrong. I explained the questions on the application were hard and I wasn't sure I was good enough. He said with such wisdom and practicality, if they're looking for perfect people, they never have anyone to go. With that, I completed the application and months later I was on the trip. I had felt unqualified to be part of God's mission in, to, and with the world. Paul alludes to feeling that feeling as well in this passage. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, says it like this. This is my life work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. Have you ever felt unqualified to be part of God's work in the world? Yes? Here's what you gotta know. You're in good company. And you're in, you get to be part of the mission. Now, you may be thinking, ha, 
Lisa, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've been. You can't imagine how I've failed. You have no idea of the struggle I am in right now. You can't see my doubts, and if you could, you would know that I wasn't fit to be part of the mission. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too broken. I'm not educated enough. I'm not good at talking to people. I don't know the Bible enough. On and on, all our insecurities rise to the surface to try and disqualify us from being part of the mission. Guess what, friend? I have great news. You and I don't have to be good enough or smart enough or old enough or young enough to be part of the mission of God. Jesus is enough for us and we are called to remember the grace that was given to us and live in light of that truth. His incredible grace and truth wasn't just shared with us for us. It was shared with us for us and for the world for you and for your neighborhood, for you and for your family, for you and for your coworkers. You get to be part of the mission because Jesus qualifies and invites you. Maybe feeling unqualified isn't your thing, but for you it's feeling forgotten and rejected. You wonder if God has a place for you in his mission because the world or your work or your family has forgotten and rejected you. I have good news for you too. You're part of the plan of God and you're not an afterthought or a plan B. In this passage, Paul talks a lot about the mystery. So what's the mystery? It can be hard for us to imagine because all we've ever known is inclusion in the family of God through the work of Jesus. But before Jesus, the Jews were the people of God. Gentiles were outsiders. The prophets foretold of the Gentiles being included, but it wasn't clear how that would happen. That's why it was a mystery. When Jesus comes on the scene, the mystery is solved. It's revealed. Sometimes the history of Christianity can be presented in a way that makes it sound like the gospel was shared with the Gentiles because many of the Jews rejected it. It's clear in this passage that since creation, from the very start, God intended for his love to be for everyone. Verse 11 says it straightforward, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. God had all of this in mind since the very beginning. It was his plan all along. It was not an afterthought because some other plan didn't work out. And the same is true for you. God has had you in mind all along. He has a place for you in the mission. You are not an afterthought. You are plan A in the big plan of God. You get to be part two. That mystery of God uniting humanity, the insiders and the outsiders through Jesus and the church is no longer a mystery. The mystery has been revealed on who gets to be part of the community and the mission. It's simple. 
all the people of God. New to the faith, you're in. Been in the faith since before you can remember, you're in. Still checking out Jesus and the Christian faith, you've got a place in the mission too, and, and you're invited to decide along the way what you think about Jesus and his message and the work of his kingdom. So now that we've answered who gets to be part, let's turn to the question, what do we do? We see Paul address this in verses 7 through 9. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So in this passage, we've got a couple of things. Preach the boundless riches of Christ and make plain the mystery that God has been working in the background all along to bring humanity together in and through the work of Jesus. But what does it mean to preach the boundless riches of Christ, especially in light of this week? Before I get into what it is, I wanna name what it's not. There's a huge mistake the white church in North America has historically made when it comes to issues of racial justice. Preaching the boundless riches of Christ doesn't mean pretending that everything is okay when everything is not okay. It is not okay when a black man goes out for a run and never makes it back home because white supremacy is still rampant and raging in the streets of our cities. It is not okay to move through an entire Sunday service and not name and lament the idol of white domination and power, the evil that produces and reproduces death disproportionately on the black community in our country. Making plain the good news and the boundless riches of Christ entails on a Sunday like this one, engaging in lament and solidarity with our brothers and sisters in the African-American community. There is a rich message preached when we don't just walk or jog 2.23 miles, but we also refuse to let our friends and family's racist comments go unaddressed. Silence is permission and complicity, and as Dr. King stated it so poignantly, silence is betrayal. Let's be reminded and convicted of his statement that in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. The good news of Jesus on a day like today means that the church won't stand in willful ignorance and silence, but will be motivated by the Jesus whose life we emulate towards action and justice and seeking the shalom of all of humanity. We will cry with you and run 2.23 miles with you and make phone calls to Georgia and Indianapolis with you and we'll check our biases and we'll get our people so you don't have to do all the work and we will repent and we will call others to repent because there is a king and a kingdom that has come and is coming that proclaims freedom for the captives and sight for the blind and liberation for the oppressed. 
This is the good news of the kingdom, and in it there are boundless riches for all of humanity. So let's do it, friends. Let's be on mission as the church and preach the boundless riches of Christ with our words and with our actions. In addition to preaching the boundless riches of Christ and seeing the fruit of that here on an earthly scale, we're also called to a cosmic work that makes plain the multifaceted wisdom of God. Take a look at verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I'll be honest, I, I really didn't get this at first, and truly, I probably still don't understand it fully. But check this out. As the church carries out its mission, even spiritual entities are being enlightened. His intent, that should catch our attention. We're learning why God has done something, what the purpose was for that something. So it's important. His intent was that through the church, the extraordinary manifold wisdom of God would be made known to heavenly beings. This is an interesting compliment to last week's sermon on chapter two that said, his purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So there's an earthly purpose and a heavenly intent. To say it differently, God's matchless love and goodness is demonstrated purposefully and intentionally in the created order and in the heavenly realms. We are witnesses to the angels and they stand in greater awe of God when we, because of our faith in Jesus, demonstrate unity and true reconciliation. Peter, in his first epistle, affirms this in chapter one, verses 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels, long to look into these things. Being a community on mission is far more vast than perhaps my mind can conceive. There are earthly and cosmic implications and consequences when we engage as a community on mission. We witnessed to the angels. What else do we do besides preach the boundless riches of Christ and make plain the wisdom of God? Plenty. I preached a sermon in our Learning to Live series on Micah 6.8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. If you haven't heard it or you need a reminder, I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and take a look at, at that. Um, but there are a lot of things we can learn about what it means uh, for us to live for the sake of the world. 
The early church in the book of Acts also serves as a helpful guide for what we do on mission. Acts 4, 32 to 35 reads, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, for those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Here we see unity of heart and mind, selflessness and sharing of possessions, powerful story sharing and testimony about Jesus' work on the cross and in the resurrection, God's grace being mightily at work so that no one in their community had needs. Their lives were marked with generosity and grace, testimony and unity. These two are what we do and who we are as the church on mission. So we've made it through the first two questions. Who gets to be part? What do we do? This last part of the message is going to be brief, even though I could write an entire sermon on this section alone. And that is, how do we do it? That summer back in 1995, when I was in Botswana, I remember riding in the car with my team along the desert landscape roads, traveling from one isolated city to the next. The conversation turned to the significance of what we were doing at the schools we visited. I think the spirit prompted me to see the holy urgency of our work. I knew that we weren't just there for a fun summer abroad. There was eternal significance to the activities we did and the conversations we had. It's not any different today. You don't have to be in a faraway place on a special project to sense the holy urgency of everyday life. God is at work making the whole world new and we get to be part of that work. It's eternal and it's happening now and it matters forever. For you, for me, for those in communities who are still to know God's love, for those in our communities who struggle under the weight of oppressive systems. When I think of how we do the mission of God, the first thing I think of is that we do it with spirit-filled, holy urgency. Secondly, we do it together as heirs together, as members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus. This is the message of verse six. We are a community on mission together. The last verse rounds out the how. Verse 12 says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In Jesus and through Jesus, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. It is there that we understand our small part in the big plan of God redeeming the world. It's his mission and we gladly join as members of his family and citizens of his kingdom in the renewal of all things. 
So who gets to be part? All of God's people. What do we do? We preach the boundless riches of Christ with our words and our deeds. How do we do it? Together in Jesus and through Jesus with freedom and confidence and a holy urgency. Part of the reason I wanted to keep this final section brief is because I'm aware that this season of pandemic and this week in particular with Ahmad and Sean's death is disorienting. Hearing a message about being a church on mission can be reorienting for us and I pray that in some way it has. But approaching God with freedom and confidence is easier said than done sometimes. Acknowledging that we feel forgotten sometimes and that we're distracted often is a good thing to do. A couple of weeks ago, I was given the gift of being led through a prayer that I want to lead us through this morning as we close out our time together. The prayer is by Ted Loder from his book, Gorillas of Grace. So I invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable. Sit in a grounded way that is attentive, is attentive but comfortable. Take in a deep breath, remembering that God is closer, even in the air that you breathe. Remember that the Holy Spirit is present within you and is delighting in you now. I'll pray the words slowly, and I invite you to listen and let them be your prayer too. Holy One, there's something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run and bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain on Zoom, washing to do, and I forget what it is I wanted to say to you. And mostly, I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Eternal one, there's something I wanted to tell you, but my mind races with worrying and watching with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and leaky plumbing and leaky relationships that I keep trying to plug up. And my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt and with things I covet and I forget what it is I wanna to say to you and how to say it honestly how to do much of anything. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Almighty one, there is something I wanted to ask you, but I stumble along the edge of a nameless rage haunted by a hundred floating fears of war, of losing my job, of failing, of getting sick and old, having loved ones die, of dying. And I forget what it is 
the real question is I wanted to ask. And I forget to listen anyway because you seem unreal and far away and I forget what it is I have forgotten. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask in my blundering way is, don't give up on me. Don't become too sad about me, but laugh with me and try again with me, and I will with you too. Oh, Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is, forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little of love and faith and a sense of confidence and a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real and I mattered and everyone was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask for is peace enough to want and work for more, for joy enough to share and for awareness that is keen enough to sense your presence here, now, there, then, always. Amen.